0: And welcome to Detangling Development, a seven-part podcast series brought to you by Unipid, the Finnish university partnership for international development. In this podcast, we dive deeper into important themes related to global development by interviewing a guest with expert insight or research in the specific topic. I'm your host, Melissa Plath. The dichotomy between the global north and its adjacent, the global south, goes beyond geographical delimitations to a contextual one based on colonial relationships. The unequal balance of power relations recognized in research collaborations can be a great example of it. They are particularly evident between those institutions and researchers perceived to possess power, mostly in the global north, and those viewed to be less powerful, mostly in the global south. From this context, our episode will look into other ways to understand research partnerships using a feminist and decolonial approach to deconstruct and reconstruct research collaboration frameworks and discourses and seek genuine equitable partnerships. What does this mean in practice and how can it be done? With me today to discuss this important topic is Violeta Gutierrez Zamora, an early stage researcher and teacher in the field of feminism, decolonial political ecology, and ethnographic research. She's a PhD candidate at the University of Eastern Finland and has co-coordinated one of UNIPID's virtual courses called Decolonizing Sustainable Development, Introductory Lessons from the Global South. Her PhD dissertation is based on the project Power, Conflict, and Collaboration in Community Forestry, the Case of Oaxaca, Mexico. Since 2017, together with other PhD researchers, she has organized the research group Environment, Society, and Development in Latin America at the Department of Geographical and Historical Studies at the University of Eastern Finland. Thank you, Violetta, for joining me today.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So you were organizing a course on decolonizing sustainable development. How did that go?
1: Yeah, it was really interesting. I felt that the students were really, really doing a great job. And they were so eager to learn and so participative. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it was really great experience for not only for us, for Jasmine and for me, but also for the students. We learned together quite a lot of things. And I felt that it was a great course. Well, I'm really happy to hear that. And one of
0: the things we noticed is that it was one of the most popular courses that we had. So why do
1: you think it was so popular? I think the coloniality theories and approaches are becoming more and more suitable here in Finland. But people don't have the tools to Mm. discuss these kind of issues. And it's not because they don't want to, but it's because sometimes universities put some words and everything into the public arena. And then people don't know how to, you know, what is this, the coloniality of things like that. And that was the objective also to bring this course into the bit because many students were eager to learn these approaches, but they didn't have like the basics of what is the colonial thinking or post-colonial thinking and etc. And it sometimes becomes too high level discussions. And I think that if we want to really decolonize our thinking, we have to have these tools that are easy to kind of grab them. I think that's why it was so popular as well.
0: Yeah, I think you're really right on that. There is more and more interest from students from researchers i think even from policymakers to kind of delve into some of these issues and it's really important then to bring the tools to be able to actually do this work and apply it kind of in their way of thinking and in their research and policymaking but it's as you said very difficult sometimes to know how to talk about these things and and one of the questions we've been asking to all our guests is if you had to explain your work to a 10-year-old How would you explain it?
1: Well, I think (laughs) I have done it with my nephew, actually. And my work, uh, particularly now, is just to study what people relate to each other. And, And in this study that I'm doing for my PhD, it is how people relate, for instance, to forest and that how they think about it, how they, how they think about their own relationships. Uh, to my nephew, I told him like, how you feel about your friends? That's what I study. <laughs> and it relates to not only your human friends, but also other friends, like he has cats. And I told him like, that's also part of the sociological imagination about human relationships with other non-human beings. So I think that's something that I can do with my nephew like really easily. But in general terms, I study the relationship between communities and forests. So how they, they manage their forest, how they use the forest, how they value the forest. And in this particular case, I bring some ideas of the colonial thinking and feminist thinking. Because forestry, as you know, might be really uh, male-dominated. Even in Finland, forestry is really male-dominated. So what I wanted to bring in my studies is there is something there, that this male dominance of nature, Mm -hmm. it is something that we bring with this colonial thinking. So it doesn't relate only to, to the idea of coloniality, but also it relates to the idea of how you think about nature relationships in terms of women relationships with the forest, but also with other genders, with the forest and so on and so on. So it's a little bit complicated.
0: (laughs) But very interesting.
1: But yeah, I I really like to talk about this, but sometimes I go like, you know, like into so philosophical <laughs> arenas that sometimes I get lost into these ideas of explaining. Even to my nephew, like he, he tries sometimes to, to tell me like, but I don't understand that, and, <laughs> and I start to. That's good, it
0: forces you to yeah, figure it, out how yeah. to explain it in practical ways. Well, I think we can start talking about some other practical things. And one of the questions and the perspectives that Unipid have been bringing out in the uh, recent years is the idea of mutually beneficial and equitable academic partnerships. Why, in your view, are mutual and equitable academic partnerships important?
1: I think that's a really good question. In every research or in every academic partnership. There is relationships between many people and, and many actors around uh, the subject you are researching and that's something that I believe that it, it has been in every discipline. It has been kind of the idea that the researcher has much power into what is doing in relation to the people who who is researching. In a way, I think that that is why it is really important to think about equity and mutual understanding, because it it has been traditional that the researchers don't have that much responsiveness onto what uh, we are doing and the purpose of doing research and to whom this research is going to serve. In this sense, I think it comes to the idea that if we are doing research, for instance, about a group, of people we have different positions towards those groups and in that sense i think our knowledge the, the knowledge that we construct about these people has an impact it can be negative it can be positive it can be whatever and if you don't become accountable towards these people it can be damaging as well It's not a question of of being positive, talking about positive stuff, or like kind of being patronizing towards these people, but rather accountable. Why you are thinking about this and why you are researching about something. Of course, there are other academic partnerships like with the university, with the policymakers. It becomes also a question of, are you cooperating towards what? What is the purpose of that? And I think that's something interesting also. So kind of balancing those interests, different interests, because they can be contradictory or they can be, you know, different objectives and etc. and kind of think about what it could be more just, not only for me, but also for the communities that you are working with. You are
0: bringing up, I think, a lot of really important points, and there are some philosophical questions that I'm <laughs> I'm starting to have as well. But I want to kind of shift a little bit to look specifically at academic or research partnerships, let's say, between the Global South and the Global North. And I think that those bring in some particular, let's say, challenges, but maybe also opportunities. So what do you think are some of the challenges and some of the opportunities in engaging in research partnerships between the Global South and the Global North?
1: I think it, it depends on how you define the partnerships. Like I said, like there are different partnerships. For instance, there is quite a lot of uh, researchers from the Global North going to do research in the Global South. And that means that you as a researcher, you're not only representing your university, you're also kind of representing what is done in, in that university and what kind of questions, for instance, the Global North Academia are placing into the Global South, for instance. That is like the typical relationship of, of Global North going to the Global South and doing research. It's not that common that Global South people come to the Global North and do research about the Global North. And that's uh, something that we should think about a little bit more. Mm. Why are we, we in these universities going to the Global South? And how are we going there? I'm Mexican, I'm from the Global South, to say it so. I came here and it's it's really easy that the research community plays you like, okay, then you can do uh, research about the Global South, but not necessarily about the Global North. And that's kind of the thing that it's like, you know, questionable as well. Then you go to the Global South to do this research And then what are the partnerships that you are doing? First, you are a partnership with local communities, the city or whatever you are doing your research, but also with the people who are doing research over there. And that's something that also relates to how you are turning the knowledge that you are creating to these other communities. Because we usually think about research that is only, for instance, in English. But why you are producing only in English, if you are, for instance, working with people in Mexico, I should be producing knowledge also in Spanish. So there is a kind of responsibility that you have, not only with the international community to say it so, you know, the community you are working with, but also to the community in terms of academic community in those countries where you are doing your research. Not only with the local people, but with the researchers there as well. How much you, you do research with them, how much you learn from them. I even have been reviewing some articles, and then I notice when I see the referencing, usually they reference Global North researchers, but they don't reference, for instance, if they do work in Mexico, they don't have references about the researchers in Mexico. And that is like hmm, how can it be? I mean, (laughs) it is so important to to think that there is a lot of work done in those countries that is not recognized. And then there is um, this tendency of only looking for the the English-based articles, and that's something that, for me, it is kind of bias because you are only looking for something that it's kind of way of looking at the reality. So I think that in these kind of partnerships, you have to be also aware who you are partnering. If you are partnering someone in countries where you are doing research, then it becomes also an idea of how these partnerships are done and what are the terms in which you do these partnerships. So it doesn't become only exploitative (laughs) relationship but rather you bring something to those universities, to those people. So it's kind of a mutual relationship that it has to be negotiated yeah. in a way prior to your research. I wonder if you could
0: talk a little bit more about what what are the terms of these research partnerships that are explicitly or maybe implicitly attached.
1: I think... It comes to the idea of negotiation. You negotiate something, like whatever negotiation you do, you need to think and to talk with these persons and to these communities and to the research community or the local communities or whoever you are partnering. And in these terms, you have to be transparent about why you are doing this and what are the benefits and. What might be the burdens of these partnerships? Because in any partnership, you have to negotiate, like even in the personal partnerships, you have to negotiate what I'm getting from and what I'm giving. Okay. And I think that's something that, that it must be at the center of these global, global north and global south relationships because it's a question of power. You have sometimes much more funding, for instance. If you come from the global north, Uh, What I want to say is that something that is really important is to negotiate openly. Okay, we have this funding and we are having this research. What are we giving to you? That's something that sometimes it is not even talk. It's just like I go there and I ask you to do research with me, but without even putting things on the table and being transparent on what you are benefiting from from this relationship. And I think that's kind of the idea of, of what is like what, what terms are we having. And being more open in many cases, of course, now it's changing. It is because global South countries are saying like, hey, actually, <laughs> you're getting much more from these relationships than we are. And that's something that is becoming more and more important for many universities in the Global South, but also for local communities. Mm -hmm. Now it is much more common that local communities say, OK, you can do research here, but what are you giving to me? And that's also important because it used to be that you go as a researcher, you go do your research, you just go back to your home university in the Global North, and then you don't even respond to these people to anything of what you are doing your research about in many countries <laughs> the government has to say like okay what are you bringing to these communities is it something just you know like a thesis is it something else a course shared knowledge or whatever you have designed or have then it has become more and more questionable how we do research it's not anymore acceptable to do research in an ex- exploitative way I don't know if I'm like going to some <laughs> many ways or how you're feeling. You're going in many ways,
0: but I think it's super interesting. Like, And I, th- <laughs> I think it's it's interesting bringing in these different elements okay. that you've mentioned. I'm going to go back a little bit to the philosophical questions and to some of these kind of defining what we are talking about, because I think that's also important. So what do we actually mean when we talk about decolonial and feminist approaches? in the context of research partnerships.
1: The coloniality comes from precisely the critique towards these power relationships that had been established throughout centuries between Global North and Global South countries. When in the 50s and 60s, the Global South countries or the colonies started to be independent, there was this idea of surpassing or kind of overcoming these relationships of colonial way of doing things. And it was thought at the time that, okay, with independence, it is going to be over. But as we notice already, after 50 years, this has not happened. And we continue to reproduce these ideas of who has the power and who can rule, and who has to be obedient, and how things must be done. And the idea of the coloniality is to challenge this. The idea of the coloniality, differently from only the the colonial thinking, it comes that the coloniality is something that we have been internalized and reproduced towards every action we do. And it's not a question of only being independent, or it's not only a question of being autonomous or sovereign state, but it's how we have internalized these relationships as normal, as something that, for instance, if you come from the global north to some community, then it is assumed that this person in the global north knows better than someone in the global community in the global south or a community in the global south knows less than this person in the global north so it is really easy to kind of reproduce not only for one person in the global north but also in the people in the global south might reproduce this thinking and it is really often that if you're for instance a researcher A person in the community might say like, okay, the person who knows, well, actually maybe they are most likely, they know better about, for instance, their forest. They might know better than me, or they might know something else than me. And I might have other knowledge that can be shared. And that's something that it comes to the idea of, of the colonial thinking. To break, challenge these ideas about who knows and kind of these hierarchies of this person knows better than this one. So kind of democratizing the idea that everybody knows different things, I think it becomes really interesting when you think about them in, in the context of research partnerships because sometimes the idea of these hierarchies have been constructed throughout ages are really difficult to challenge yeah. because you have to be really reflexive into what is my position in this partnership, what I power I have towards someone, and what, what is the power that this person has, for instance. What I like to say to my students, for instance, is that this is not something about, not only something about the structures which are really important. But it's also something about the everyday activities, the everyday contacts you have with people and how you behave in a way with, towards your peers, towards people in the street, etc. Because we have internalized some, so much ideas about how to behave towards anyone yeah. that we continue to reproduce these power relationships. So that's what I, I think it about the colonial thinking could
0: be. Finland isn't uh, traditionally seen as a colonial superpower or uh, as having a kind of colonial history in the way that the UK has, as an example. Can we talk about decoloniality in Finland?
1: Definitely. I think the idea that not only the colonizers of the imperial powers are the ones who have to respond or have to deconstruct their thinking, like the colonial thinking is not only a question about Europe or these particular countries like the UK or France or other colonial countries, but also the idea that, for instance, Europe in general has been constructed as an entity of knowledge, as an entity of power. And Finland is part of Europe and it's part of this way of thinking. I mean, it, it hasn't constructed a colonial uh, relationship in the global south, probably. I will question that. But towards some communities here in Finland as well, like the Sami community. And I, I'm saying this like, uh, about the idea of, of the global south, because when Finnish um, missionaries went to Africa, for instance, They were having the same ideas as many Europeans uh, were having at the time about what is good for them, what is good for these people if they become Christians or they went to kind of evangelize people in in Africa. And I think this is something that hasn't been discussed much about what that meant Mm -hmm. at the time Mm -hmm. that people went there to this evangelization. Okay, right. They didn't do it in the same way as the Catholic Church did it in in Latin America in the 15th century, <laughs> but they did it. They did it in a way that it was an intervention in the way of the how people were thought, and this is like historical part, but also the idea that Finland has been constructed his identity as well in relation to Europeanness, yeah. and this is something that it has been talked really barely much more nowadays. But it is quite new, and in this way is the, the way I think that this idea of of being European or being part of Europe has been or need to be a little bit more challenged. What is to be European? And I think that's something that then if we think about this Europeanness, uh, then we need to challenge and think how this Europeanness brings all this kind of burden about how Europe in general has been constructed as an ideal of humanity and as ideal of what humanity must be. And this is something that I think that it relates also to to these hierarchies of, you know, like Europe is considered globally as the best. Whatever Europeans do, it is the best. Is it? And then how? How we have constructed this idea of Europeanness as white, as, um, as something that it's the idea of humanity as more knowledgeable or human in a way so I don't know if if that was (laughs) too much (laughs) it was just right
0: and bringing the feminist approach into this so how can you understand decoloniality through a feminist approach and why should these two approaches be combined
1: I think the uh, the idea is that there is a narrative about who is ruling in in the world and the general narrative is that it's an European man who goes to the colonies and starts to rule the world. And this is narrative that is started in the fifteenth century, and we have kind of internalized it. Mm-hmm. And in a way that the colonial and feminist thinking kind of start to challenge this idea that this european man is the one who has to rule over everything over nature over women over indigenous people over territories and etc so kind of the idea particularly in the colonial and feminist thinking is as well that feminist is not necessarily at the colonial thinking and feminist in many ways, at the beginning, they were challenged by the uh, women of color and women in countries that they were just putting the ideas of feminism in their terms, right. you know, of white feminism. So if you don't consider this, then it is easier to just think that feminism is something that it goes to everybody, but it not necessarily goes to, to everybody. It can be thought from the European feminism that not necessarily acknowledge the different kind of structures that are oppressing women in other contexts. And sometimes I think that this is something that needs to be a com- kind of combined in a way that you threat. And it's not uh, something that it must be like a recipe, but rather to look really contextual understandings on what is to be a woman of whatever country you want, locality, uh, what is to be a woman in Mexico, or what is to be a um, women in Mexico, but not only one, like general Mestiza women, but what is to be an indigenous woman in Mexico? Those different kind of positions needs to be addressed in these processes, especially in partnerships. When you think about, okay, I'm going to the Global South to do work, for instance, with indigenous women in Colombia, but I'm Mexican, i a Mestiza woman, a Mexican, coming from the Global North University. So you have to reflect on the different positions in which you are, but also in the different positions, those people who you are working with, for instance, an indigenous woman in Colombia or any other country, how they position themselves, how the structure has positioned them, but also how these relationships are acknowledged or these positionalities are acknowledged in the different process of, of partnerships, because I might think that you know it's really just to say to them, "Okay, I'm a Mexican, so that's why we are in the same level, or kind of in the same level of power." Mm-hmm. But rather to look how different axes and positions of power are negotiated in these partnerships. And I think that's something really interesting and important to kind of dig because it's not a recipe. There are no recipes in to do this, but rather to be transparent in these relationships and to be really reflective on them. I don't like to put, you know, like this kind of silos on what is your position, but this is something that is negotiated.
0: Well, I think you're leading us actually really nicely to the next question. And it's looking kind of at Finland and and how Finland and Finnish researchers can engage in or build more responsible and sustainable research partnerships with their peers in the global south. How can we do that? How can they do that? Maybe there are some tools or some guides for what uh, should be done.
1: Yeah, I think, like I said, there is no recipe to do it but rather there are kind of tools. And one of the tools is to be really reflexive. What is your position in different arenas, in different spaces, with different people? And this reflexivity goes to, of course, to be really self-reflexive of what is your power relationships you establish with different people in different contexts. Like I said, for instance, I'm Mexican. And my university is finished. And when I go to Mexico, it is not the same relationship as I could be doing my research from a Mexican university. But anyway, the point is that I had to be really reflective and open and transparent on what is my purpose of, for this research. And with the partnerships in terms, or not only with the local communities, because I consider that Local communities are your partners as well, Mm -hmm. but with the researchers in Mexico as well. Like I said, it's not the same to be in a Mexican university because of the funding, one of the things, because of the language. I'm publishing, for instance, now in English, Mm -hmm. and this is something that, although I'm publishing now in English, I agree with them that I will publish in Spanish as well, because this is something that for me is important, but it should be something that, it shouldn't be voluntary for me only, but rather a way of to be responsive towards the people you are partnering. And then also to be reflective on, for instance, I'm in this global now at the university. So my partners are as well, the people who are working here and in Finland, It hasn't been that much reflected on how, for instance, PhD students who come to Finland or postdoctoral researchers who do their research here, how they partner with more senior researchers who have less understanding or probably sometimes less sensitivity towards these ideas of internationalization. Or they just think like, okay let's bring diversity to university, but without any reflective way, what kind of partnerships are we going to do mm. with these people who are coming, for instance, from the Global South? And this is something that I would like to see more, not only in terms of who is going there to do research into the Global South, but also to be responsive when researcher coming from the Global South is coming what are their terms and what are the uh, negotiations you do for these people in here? I think that this is something that also we have to reflect more and more and more, yeah. because it's the university who is benefit as well from these relationships. But there are many cases in which these are not so easily established. And in a way, I think that's something also that Finland, in a way, needs to think more and more about what kind of relationships it establishes in terms of the global community in any discipline, but especially in development studies. Is not only about going there, but what is the people who come here experiencing this idea of coloniality of knowledge, for instance. I have heard quite many cases in which, coming from the global south, They are treated in the university as a respectful way, just because they come from the global south. Is it like this kind of expertise, like they might have like huge expertise in their countries. They come here and they are treated like you don't have enough expertise. You don't know that much. You can see these hierarchies and the coloniality of who is constructing real knowledge, for instance. This is something that it has been more and more clear for me now now that i that I notice how these relationships are constructed. I think it's a really important point to
0: bring <laughs> up both uh, or to widen actually how we're thinking about how to build and engage in responsible partnerships, that it's not just about when we are creating partnerships with other academics based in the Global South, for example, but it's also about how we treat within Finland people who are coming from the Global South to either study or do research or live, (laughs) (laughs) just live their lives. Yeah. So, So I think it's really actually important to complicate this idea of what we are talking about when we're talking about building partnerships and what needs to be done. So it's a very important point to bring up. And I think we could now go to the next question, and it's a very broad question. So what's next?
1: I think what's next on this uh, idea of being reflective in these academic partnerships, that is not, not something that easy but it must be negotiated and be transparent. Like I I come to this idea of transparency quite a lot. Because when you are transparent, you can be more accountable towards the people you have done these agreements and so on. And there is no surprises. And even though there there might be surprises, it, it is a question of communicate what is the needs and necessities of both parties this is something that sometimes brings to the idea that then there is no pre-assumptions of what is has to be done, but rather there is a process of constructing together something mm-hmm. as in a way of constructing something in equal terms with full information or at least trying to give full information. It might be really difficult in a way for many researchers to think about this because we are so full of these many tasks and many guidelines and many things that you have to do in, to publish and to give courses and but I think universities for that universities for being reflective yeah. universities for constructing, more equal relationships. At least that's what I like to think, that university is not only a machine, but it's rather a space that should be more reflective on what is the role of university in general terms. The future, it must be the colonial, or it cannot be. And it must be feminist, or it cannot be an equal university. So in those terms, I think, uh, university must think and must must include decolonial and feminist approaches in their careers and in their not only in development studies but in many other in many other subjects because this is not only about global south global north uh, relationships in terms of development but there are other collaborations for instance in biotechnology. And there are others in education. There are others in many other disciplines. That is not only development studies that should incorporate these approaches as a meta narrative that can bring some light into being reflective of what is your research about. So I think universities more, must incorporate this kind of approaches more and more, and that's. The future <laughs> i couldn't agree more thank you
0: violeta for joining me thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of Detangling Development. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to join us for the next one, where we will be talking about the private sector's role in Finnish education development cooperation with Elizabeth Eta, researcher and teacher in the field of transnational education from the University of Turku. My name is Melissa Plath. See you next time. This episode was produced and edited by Kelly Brito and Alexandra Birish. Original theme music is by Vesa Plath. This has been Detangling Development.